Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday chicks colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. For some people, we're helping them walk well with a limp. And that phrase really jumped out at me because a lot of the women we're get, you know, we're working with have just come through so much. And so, and we can't erase the past. We can only change our relationship to it. And so for them, it's a matter of finding a way to sort of change our relationship to the trauma so that I can walk well with a limp kind of a thing. Hey there, welcome to the Collide Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide, and I love, love, love that I get to sit with amazing people every single week and have life-changing conversations. I learn so much. I hope you do too as you hop on here. If this is your first time, welcome. If not, and you've come on before, make sure you subscribe so it hops in your inbox every single week. Today, I get to interview Karma Rotisunder who is a licensed mental health counselor. She's also a teacher on our counseling course bundle that we are so excited about. She has her master's in professional counseling. And since entering this profession, her primary focus has been in helping survivors of sex trafficking to find new hope and life through individual and group therapy. She also helps vulnerable children and adults who've experienced poverty, homelessness, sexual and physical violence and trauma, as well as help Helping people in life transition, grief and loss, and career changes. I mean, what can this lady not help with? She also takes special interest in helping those who are living with chronic pain and challenging health issues. So today we are going to have an amazing conversation around trauma and if healing is actually possible. So Karma, thanks for hanging out with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you say your passion lies in helping serve sex traffic survivors. How did you get into that line of such meaningful work? Oh, I love talking about that. Um, Actually, I was on a mission trip in Peru, and it was my first mission trip. And I saw a billboard that was basically, it was in Spanish, but it said something along the lines of stop sexual tourism. And so I grabbed my guide and kind of asked him about it. And he said, yeah, we have a problem. North Americans come down to have sex with little boys. It's a really big problem. Our government is working with the FBI trying to shut it down. And I was kind of blown away. Mm-hmm. I, this was in 2007. So I haven't really even understood it outside of maybe a movie or something. Then I ended up spending the rest of that week with boys who had been trafficked. And it just broke my heart. And I came home and like couldn't get it out of my head. I felt like I knew that this was happening in the world and so I felt compelled to do something. So that kind of, it changed my career. It changed the trajectory of like everything I did because I just felt that I needed to find a way to help victims of trafficking. And so I've done that in a lot of different ways over the years. I've been involved in fundraising and mission trips and um, child sponsorship programs and 
a number of different things and then finally settled into counseling. Uh, just really wanting to sit with the victims in a way that was really personal and could kind of enter their pain um, differently than I was able to do as a fundraiser or something like that. So mm. yeah, the, it's been a journey. The phrase sex tourism, I, I almost can't, I can't get over it. Like I used to have me yeah. at sex tourism. Can you help those of us who have never heard that phrase before understand? And that's just a disturbing phrase. Yeah, it's a disturbing practice. Some one of the things that people probably don't understand. So they we understand that trafficking happens in these other countries, usually impoverished countries. People think like Cambodia, Thailand, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What we may not always understand is that probably 80% of the buyers, I think it's like 86% are North American men. So they fly from here to other countries for the purpose of having sex, usually with minors. And so it's tourism for the purpose of sex and um, preying on vulnerable people who are impoverished and um, now the work that I do here locally, I work primarily with American citizens. So it's 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 a different form of trafficking. But yeah, my first encounter with trafficking was in other countries, countries that were impoverished. So this reality um, almost confronted your life to the point where it grabbed it grabbed hold of a passion you didn't even know you had. And the more right. you got involved and the more you started saying, hey, I want to be a part of doing something about this, the more your life started to change. And you went from, you know, more mission trips and fundraising and that kind of thing to now, hey, I want to become a professional counselor and sit with people who are being sex trafficked. And that's a lot of what you do now. Correct? Yeah. 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 I was in corporate America at the time when I went on my first mission trip, you know, they always say mission trips will wreck your life. And I am like the poster child for that because I was in marketing and communications and, you know, successful by some measure. I don't know how you measure that, but, you know, experiencing some success, living pretty comfortably, had a little house in the suburbs. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. And after that trip, it just, I couldn't get it out of my head. Kind of like what you're saying, Lolo, it just gets a hold of you and it, I spent this time with these survivors of trafficking and they were remarkable Hmm. and I learned so much from them and they were so strong and brave and resilient and yet they encountered such horrific things. And, um, I just knew that I had to do something. I didn't know what that was, but I had to do something. And so I, I'm, I tend to be, all in when I decided to do something. <laughs> so, you know, I sold my house, moved to Basque Country, got involved in a missions organization that was helping rescue girls in Nicaragua. And, you know, just kind of kept, no matter where I felt led or what I ended up doing, I always wanted, I always on the side was looking for a way to serve survivors of trafficking. And, um, yeah, so it ended up taking a lot of forms. Initially, I was still doing marketing communications. I just pivoted into nonprofit. Mm. And then that led to fundraising and development. And then I ended up at a church, you know, overseeing their missions program. 
and then ended up volunteering at where I work now, which is a long-term residential program for victims of trafficking. And I volunteered here. And the more I spent time with the victims, the more I was like, oh, like I just wanted to help. I just felt so bad they'd share their heart and I was just at a loss for what to do. And so I just wanted to get some training. And that's how I ended up back and getting my master's. Mm. How old were you when you went on the trip to Peru and got, got a hold of your heart with this passion? I think I, I don't know. I was probably 31, 32, I guess, if I do my math. The reason 32. why I ask is I, I think there's so much pressure for young adults to feel like they have to figure out what they're made to do with their life. And when I hear a story like yours, where you, you tripped on a passion you didn't even know you had. I I think sometimes the Lord's readying our life for something to unfold that we don't even know is within us. And that kind of seems like it's your story. And, and I wonder if you were to look back before this moment where he completely shifted your direction, were you struggling with sort of a, almost like a discontentment that you hadn't quite figured out your passion or did you feel pretty locked into marketing and you were good to go and this just surprise attacked you? I was struggling. That's a great question, Willow. I, yeah, I'd already been working for about 15 years, I think. Maybe that's exaggerating a little bit, but I did start early. And I kind of just knew I needed a paycheck, so I followed the money. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really about passion. It was just about a job. I ended up getting my undergrad rather late as well. I graduated with my undergrad when I was 30. And that was an English language and literature degree, which is how I ended up in marketing communications. I was kind of already doing it and then it just sort of fit well. And I remember praying for about a year before I went on the trip, praying about wanting, I felt that there was something more God had for me, but I didn't know what it was. And I was working with a counselor at the time because I was kind of healing from my own trauma. And he had me write a personal mission statement. And it had something to do with, you know, sharing God's love through word and communication because I knew I had a gift for communicating. But I had no idea what that would look like. I thought it was going to be writing. And I was praying and asking God and meeting with my pastor and meeting with, you know, all my friends and trying to figure out what would happen. Missions wasn't even on my radar at all. It was something I had no interest in. My friends would go on trips. I'd be like, good on you. Like, (laughs) here, let me write you a check. Have fun with that. Um, And one of my friends had cystic fibrosis and she passed away and she went on a lot of mission trips. And so kind of in honor of her, I signed up for this trip to Peru. Mm. Um, I had no intention of ever doing another one. I just thought, well, she's been there before. This was important to her. I'm going to do this trip in honor of her. And God had other plans. (laughs) And so, yeah, then, so when I realized, oh, I have this passion for children and vulnerable children and people who are being victimized, um, yeah, the, the career kind of unfolded from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, before I went on that trip, I, I was praying about it, but I had, I would have never even known to look 
here where I ended up. I love that so much because I think it gives other people hope who are feeling that discontentment. And they feel like there's something more. And I think sometimes when you feel like some, there's something more for our lives, we feel discontent. But it re- really could be, instead of looking at it as something to be upset or discontent about, it's more exciting. Like the Lord has given you an inclination that there's something more and he's readying you for the something more. And I love that he was readying you. And then you tripped upon it. Now your whole life is upside down. And here you are and you're sitting in sacred spaces with women who've been sex trafficked. And I guess I'm curious. I feel like there's a lot of stereotypes and assumptions that people who are unfamiliar with the lives of women who've been sex trafficked, we we make great assumptions and stereotypes. And I wonder... Uh, if you can invite us into what has surprised you most that you have learned from these women who've been sex trafficked. Yeah, I have learned so much from the women I work with. I think one of the things that consistently blows my mind is just how strong and resilient they are. I think that when I imagine going through what they've been through, I, I don't, I don't know that I could get out of bed. Um, and yet they do, and they do with humor and resilience and bravery and, um, hope. And it sort of blows my mind. I, I had my own struggles when I was younger. And so, and that really affected me and made it hard for me to trust people. And it was, you know, compared, you're not supposed to compare your trauma, but when I think about all they've been through, it was kind of like, I had a lot of good relationships as well as some broken ones. Mm -hmm. So I had good experiences that made it easier for me to try again. Mm -hmm. And many of them, um, have come from homes and situations where they didn't benefit from lots of good relationships. It's just sort of like one um, bad relationship and one broken situation and one traumatic situation after another. Most of the women have complex trauma, which is, you know, multiple severe traumas over a long period of time, often their lifetime. And so for them to have hope and strength and courage in the midst of that just blows my mind. And I think I have become stronger and certainly more empowered. And I think more aware of the power of God and what he's capable of, as well as more aware of his image in us and what we are capable of with him than I have ever understood in any other context in my life. Surely you do this work because you think it matters. How, how, I mean, do you believe healing is possible when someone experiences so much trauma that they start to live out of that trauma? And if so, what does that kind of healing require? Yeah, I absolutely believe healing is possible. And I, I love doing trauma work because I do find it very hopeful. Having said that, I think I have learned to think about healing differently over the years. 
one of my professors said, you know, with a lot of our clients, the goal is not sort of that American dream of happy, joy, joy, everything's good and all my relationships are great kind of perspective, but it's more of a, for some people, we're helping them walk well with a limp. Mm. And that phrase really jumped out at me because a lot of the women we're, you know, we're working with have just come through so much. Mm-hmm. And so, and we can't erase the past. We can only change our relationship to it. And so for them, it's a matter of finding a way to sort of change our relationship to the trauma so that I can walk well with a limp kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that looks different for different people. But I have seen tremendous healing and tremendous change in the lives of people who have encountered so much pain. And um, so I'm very hopeful. Um, Trauma is, our brains are wired and created and designed with systems, not only to help keep us safe from danger, which is sort of the system that gets stuck on when we get traumatized but there's also a system to calm us back down when we're safe Mm -hmm. and sometimes that system goes offline and so if we can bring that back online and get that brain working the way it was designed to work people can really thrive in their life even though they've been through a lot and have been hurt by many things Mm -hmm. You, you do a lot of work with women who've experienced trauma from being sex trafficked but you also work with people who have trauma and I'm hoping you can not only identify the word trauma, but help us kind of understand maybe with a few examples of what trauma could look like for people. And the reason why I ask that is that I even find in our work at Collide where um, it, it might take a woman multiple times in our work with her for her to sort of cough up an experience that is still agonizing, still bleeding, still hurting. Um, She's maybe never been given permission to share. She's never given herself permission to share because it hasn't been okay, whatever it is, where a lot of women don't even realize they've experienced trauma. Like they put that word on, they might even put that word on women who've been sex trafficked for sure, but they wouldn't put it on themselves. So can you help us understand the definition of trauma and how to know if we've experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to talk about that. Cause I do think there's, <laughs> it's so funny because traditionally in my life, when I heard trauma, it was sort of in the context of like Vietnam vets or women who'd been raped or sexually assaulted. And that was sort of it. Um, that's trauma. Then I started to sort of understand, oh, it also could include like experiencing a tornado or an earthquake or 9-11 or something like that. Like that's, that can be traumatic. Um, but then I also hear now people use this word for, you know, I went shopping and couldn't find the shoes I wanted and it was traumatic. And mm-hmm. so there's sort of like we use the word in all kinds of ways. Not all of them are helpful. <laughs> so uh, I think there are there are traumas that sort of happen, sort of the traumas that we're used to thinking about when we think about the most extreme cases where your life is threatened in a very significant way. And 
most people when they experience that, although some people can experience the same event and, and not feel like one person gets traumatized and another person doesn't. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But a lot of it is sort of perception. So did I feel that my life was threatened or in danger in some way? Mm. And if I felt that way and my brain really took that in and believed it, then it went into protective mode. So this is sort of the idea of survival systems within our within our bodies and brains where if I see a bear in the woods, I need to get away to get safe or I need to fight, you know, fight, fight, freeze, that kind of concept. And so when we experience something really difficult where we feel threatened and our life is in danger, then that system kicks in. And once the danger is passed, it's designed to calm back down. But for some of us, it doesn't. It sort of gets stuck on. And so if it can't resolve itself naturally, then we end up developing things like PTSD. Um, sometimes there's sort of a different type of trauma. And one of the ways I've been talking about it lately is like disturbing events that sort of change the way we see ourselves or understand the world. Hmm. and Maybe it's not even a specific event, but there's something that occurs that shifts it for us. And we live out of a place of fear, but it's not super obvious. Like I can't point to that time when that thing happened. It's more like over time, I just kind of chipped away. And these disturbing events are sort of the filter by which I see the world. Hmm. So an example, which might be helpful is if, if I had some trauma, say at school, where um, I had a teacher who just sort of chipped away at my self-esteem and told me I wasn't going to amount to anything or that I wasn't very smart. Or, there may not be an event like an abusive moment, mm -hmm. but just after being with that teacher for a year, mm -hmm. at the end of that year, I no longer believe that I'll amount to anything or I see myself in a very negative way. And I don't really trust the world either because I have this experience where things are kind of shaky. I think that's a very common experience and it gets stuck and it gets stuck in a, the same way that a very severe trauma could get stuck. Hmm. And we can still function, but everything is harder because now I'm wondering, am I good enough? Can I, you know, like, can I do this? Is the world safe? Can I trust you? Which is also what trauma causes in us. You know, can I trust myself? Can I trust you? Is the world safe? It doesn't feel like it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's tapping into that same system, whether it, even if it's not some big event that sort of changes history for us, it can be a, a bunch of little events and it taps into that fight, flight or freeze system. It causes us to live out of fear and it changes the way we see ourselves in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a way to think about traumatic events. We live in what some are calling the anxiety culture. We worry as friends, daughters, mothers, and grandmothers. We're getting gray hairs because we're nervous Nellies. We're taking chill pills because we're worried sick. For some of us, one second we can be doing okay, and the next a Facebook post sends us into anxiousville. But what if there's another way other than worry and anxiety? In our beautifully designed, colorful 10-part Bible study book, 
We center around the passage in Matthew 6, 19 through 34, where Jesus speaks into worry. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you will be challenged, encouraged, and inspired by this study. We can't wait for you to dive in, so go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of The Birds and the Lilies now. You've mentioned a couple times as you're describing trauma and its experience that it gets stuck. You get stuck kind of there. What are some indicators that a person might have gotten stuck somewhere? I mean, how does being stuck or getting stuck come out sideways for people where um, they could locate? Yeah, I think this might be me. It kind of depends on what we're talking about, but I think often it'll come out for the average person. (laughs) Um, It could come out as a negative cognition or a negative belief about yourself. So for instance, if we stick with my example about maybe having a bad experience in school where I started to believe that I wasn't smart or that I wasn't good enough, then that starts to filter all of my decisions and how I move in the world. And so if I find that I have like this soundtrack in my head, that's constantly telling me you're not good enough. You're not going to measure up. You're failing those sorts of things. And I see that negatively impacting my ability to be in relationship, my ability to trust people. Um, If I'm constantly sort of on edge, restless, Or conversely, if I just feel depressed and I feel like I can't even function really, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm doing it like I'm going through the motions, but I feel like I just need a little extra help all the time because I have this belief about the world and myself that's just sort of coloring everything. And I'm not, I can't name it always, but I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to engage in relationship or I'm stressed out all the time or I'm feeling anxious all the time. And I'm very hard on myself and I have this negative view of myself and other people. Those are some signs that something isn't right. And it could be a lot of things, but that's a good thing to sort of start to explore. Um, and it could, it could be indicative of a trauma getting stuck in your system mm-hmm. and that, that, part of your brain just sort of constantly on alert for danger. Right. Um, You know, always looking out for danger. I'm hypervigilant. I'm aware all the time of my surroundings. Um, And it's similar, you know, sometimes we think about that as like a, a war veteran comes back from war and they're always hyper alert and always aware of their surroundings. And, you know, we, we think about that traditional like car backfires in their decking where they can't sit with their back to a door. Well, we might not be that extreme, but we might be going around doing that in the same way, like always scanning for who's going to hurt me next. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. So I can sit with my back to the door, but I don't really trust people very well because I'm expecting them to hurt me. I'm waiting for the other shooter drop. It's it's amazing how many women live out of this place, myself included. Yeah. From my own past pain and um 
how there's certain things that kind of put me on high alert where I want to run. And it's so indicative of my need for healing. But I even think of, I mean, I remember this woman joined our Collide ministry team, which is like a team of 30 women who commit to kind of a high level of service for a year at a time with us. And, you know, they go through Bible studies and help plan our conferences. It's a really special experience. And this woman was really excited and wanted to join the team and um, loved her experience at Clyde and was experiencing healing and community. And so she, you know, came on to our Clyde team and a couple weeks in, she asked if she could come to my house. And so I said, sure. And she came over and she sat on my couch and um, handed me several pages of a letter where she was going to cut out. She was going to quit. And and there wasn't anything negative that happened on Collides End, but it was this whole letter about how um, she, I think she just panicked because she's so afraid of being hurt by women. And so she had this whole letter formed and she was just ready to cut out because she's assuming that she wasn't going to be fully enveloped and loved. And I think so many of us sort of are living out of waiting, like you said, waiting for the shoe to drop. We're in relationships or we show up to a job interview or, um, you know, we're on a board or a committee or we're in a book club and, and we're waiting for the thing to happen that's happened to us in our past. It's hurt us so badly. How do you help women in these stuck places where they just keep living out of this fear? Yeah, I think it can be really freeing and helpful to identify what it is. And so identifying sort of what's happening and realizing, wait a minute, this is a, because really our body's response to trauma is survival based. And so we're trying to survive. That's all we're doing. Mm -hmm. But it starts to get in the way of actually living <laughs> because surviving is very different than living. Um, and there is a time for surviving, but it, you know, it's not in a healthy kind of well-adjusted life. Then we're living, we're not surviving anymore. You know, things are okay. And sometimes our brain can't tell the difference. And so being able to just acknowledge, wait, this is a survival behavior. This isn't, this isn't healthy coping, mm -hmm. you know? And I think we, we've, we've convinced ourselves it is, you know, I have my own history of trauma and, you know, I, I had a hard time trusting men for a long time. And so then I'd be like, well, I'm going to get out before anybody hurts me. And I'd have this really negative view if I would start to date or something, you know, assuming I'm going to get dumped in, you know, quote unquote. And those kinds of things were designed to keep me safe, but it's really a barrier to relationship. And I never really give people a chance in that mindset. And so being able to name that and catch myself when I'm doing it, uh, look for actual, you know, challenge our negative beliefs and, and look for proof that can be helpful in terms of, wait, is this true? Is this person really harmful or is it not true? It's just instinct or survival behaviors or those kinds of things. So being able to test our reality, you know, having people that we can rely on with wisdom who can kind of speak into that, who we do trust um, can be helpful. I also think there's some really basic things that we have to almost do first, which is to calm ourselves. 
um, you know, mindfulness is the new hot thing. I mean, it seems like it's everywhere now. Everybody's, you know, breathing deep and doing mindfulness, but it's amazing in terms of the brain and your trauma brain and calming that down so that you can actually access the parts of your brain that can think relationally and, and can weigh things out logically with reason. And it's difficult to do that if we're just surviving. So the first thing we have to do is sort of calm down. And sometimes that's as simple as grounding ourselves, doing some deep breathing, throwing some water on our face, walking around the parking lot, doing something that just sort of calms our body down first. And then we can enter in a place where we can start challenging ourselves or really thinking through things with wisdom and going, wait, is this really happening? Or am I just thinking, am I just afraid it's going to happen and reacting out of that? And that, that can be helpful. It can also be helpful to, if we have experienced trauma or these disturbing events in our life that are sort of hijacking things that are stuck in our system and we can't sort of move past it, it can be really helpful to, to, you know, go to counseling, get the help that you need. Um, use the tools out there that sort of help you move through that so you can release it and move into growth. I mean, how it, what it's called in my industry is post-traumatic growth. It, these kinds of things, if we can move through the healing, these things can actually help us grow and, and become to better versions of ourselves mm -hmm. and all that we long to be and were created to be. Post-traumatic growth. Yeah. I haven't heard that phrase. Oh yeah. It's one of my favorite phrases. And it's probably one of the reasons I find trauma work so um, helpful because I do see this a lot. They started studying it. I believe it was after Columbine, um, the Columbine shootings, but just realizing that, that certain people, if you can heal from your trauma and move through it and it doesn't get stuck in these survival-based behaviors and feelings and if we can make meaning out of it it will likely inform how we live our life moving forward and how we live our life moving forward can be better stronger deeper than what it was before hmm. so we think about that sometimes if you know if we have an experience with um, illness or near-death experiences where like suddenly life seems more precious it's kind of a similar concept to that um, one example is I think about the early version of me before um, I had kind of gone through some of my most intense trauma and healed from it and um, I mean, I was a nice enough person, I suppose, but I had a lot <laughs> of character flaws. <laughs> I was pretty hard to be around. I was pretty judgmental. Um, and now having gone through what I've been through, compassion, empathy, those kinds of things are way easier for me because my experiences have helped me sort of deepen who I am as a person and lean into God more and understand um, my own pain. And that, you know, that allows me to comfort people with the comfort I've received. And so that's the idea is like, it's, it helps me kind of deepen who I am if, if I can face it. 
and and that's that post-traumatic growth concept Mm -hmm. it's beautiful it is beautiful it's so cool to hear your story that you have experienced trauma but you also have said yes to god's healing in your life and the more that you've said yes the more that he's called you into helping other people with their trauma which is that just has jesus smeared all over it right i mean when you see jesus in the new testament and he collided with people they were left more whole than when he first happened upon them and i i see jesus colliding with people and healing them all the time and then using them to help heal their village which is really cool that he's doing that with you yeah 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 i think post-traumatic growth is such a gospel concept um you know, it's that idea of, of redemption kind of a thing. <laughs> and, you know, not everybody experiences it. it. It's not guaranteed, but there is that opportunity. And it can be really beautiful to be able to serve and, have, you know, help people. Um, I think, yeah, it's that idea of a redemptive serve, like, helping people move through pain and hurt that is similar to yours and being able to do that because of what you went through. But before I get the healing, I'm still living out of survival. So I actually can't meet with you in that because I get triggered by it and I take off running or I fight or whatever I do. But if I can do the healing and if Jesus can meet me in that and we can move through that, not that I have to be perfect, but that I have to have that some measure of healing so that I can hold your pain without being triggered by it and be able to kind of sit, sit in that with people. Um, it's really beautiful. Yeah. One of the things you do that I think is fascinating, and I have to ask you while we're on this podcast, you work with people who have chronic pain that's attached to trauma. And I think in, even in some of the work I've done with women, that's a hard idea for some people with chronic pain to swallow, that it might be mental and not just physical. How can you explain why that might be the case that trauma and chronic pain sometimes might be related? I think that we're learning more and more about stress and how stress affects your body. And so we're starting to learn that when we experience trauma or when we experience stress, we feel that in our body. For instance, I have an autoimmune disorder that relates to too much inflammation and that is triggered by stress. So if I have mental stress, then my physical stress gets worse, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we have this idea that mental pain is separate from our bodies, but in fact, our bodies are part of our brains and our bodies are all part of the same system and they're not disconnected. And so what we think and how we feel and our anxiety and everything we're holding, we're holding that not just in our brain, but in our body and our body carries that. In addition to that, I think it's important to remember that when traumas happen to us, they happen to our bodies most of the time. They, our body experiences it. Our body remembers it. There's a book that I love by Bessel van der Kolk. He's a leading researcher in this whole trauma field. And it's called the body keeps the the score. And it's this idea of how our bodies hold our pain. And a lot of times when we ignore emotional pain, it shows up in a physical way. So it shows up in a 
uh, heart disease or blood pressure issues or chronic pain or a lot of other things. So sometimes if we can heal past emotional pain and deal with some of our traumas, sometimes the physical pain is healed with it. Not always, because sometimes there's some scars there that, mm-hmm. that linger. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, physical pain from a, an illness or an accident or surgery or something like that can also be traumatic. <laughs> and our brains, you know, it can be very frightening. It can make us feel like our lives are in danger. And then that can lead to sort of some of those emotional problems that we were talking about or survival-based coping. So there, to me, it's impossible to separate the two, but I do understand that in our culture, we love to separate the two because we wanna like shove our emotional pain aside. We're much more comfortable in our culture talking about our physical illness and our emotional pain. Mm-hmm. But to me, I think they're so intricately interwoven. Um, there's really, it's really difficult to separate them. And the more I learn about the brain, the more I come to realize that even just in terms of like what we eat in a day impacts our ability to manage our emotional self. And we love to keep it all separate, but it just isn't. Yeah. Well, the, the sort of idea that, and we talk about this all the time at Collide, that God wants for us healing but not just healing kind of in like the way we think theologically. I think a lot of Christian culture and some churches really teach on just that, right? Let's heal that. Um, But God wants healing in our relationships and he wants healing for anxiety and he wants healing for the past pain that we're continuing to live out of. And like this holistic sense of healing and how things are so interwoven and interconnected. And it's almost um, eye opening listening to you talk, because if someone's chasing the bunny trail of trying to get, you know, only trying to get the right meds, which is important, but only trying to get the right meds, but they're not locating the childhood trauma they experienced and how it's still affecting their body. Um, they're missing out on what could be more healing for their life. And instead, they just continue to feel frustrated by not feeling well. So it just seems so important to look at the holistic picture and be open to locating what our body has gone through, what what healing is needed and say yes to it. When, when you think about the people listening to this podcast right now, they've heard this whole conversation and we've talked so much about trauma and what trauma is and different examples and living out of fear and living out of not measuring up and having chronic pain and all these things. If there's someone listening right now, which I'm sure there is, who's like, man, I think there's some healing it still needs to be, you know, it still needs to take place in my life and maybe time for me to be open to it. What's your best advice for their next step? Well, my first thought is therapy, which is ironic because I'm a therapist. Um, and certainly that can be really helpful for a lot of us. Um, I heard someone, I heard another therapist say recently, not everybody needs therapy, but everybody deserves it. And I love that concept. Um, So I do think it can be really helpful 
but I do understand also that we're not always ready to do that or yeah, we just may not be in a place where we're ready to move, ready to take that step. And I do think there are things that we can do on our own. You know, some of that is just trying to invite one safe person into our story and whoever that may be, whether that is a friend or a pastor or a counselor or a mentor or someone that, you know, is safe and, and is willing and able to enter that with you and has consented to that. I think that can be really powerful. Um, I think that's what opened me up to, to even going to counseling all those years ago. I avoided it for many years and establishing some relationships with some other safe mentors and people made it possible for me to even get to the point where I was willing to, to step into the counseling room and, and trust that person. Mm -hmm. And so we can start with what we have. And if you look around and feel like there are no safe people, then that's an important place to start of finding some, I think, and really intentionally working towards that. And it's hard and exhausting, but it's so important. I think we heal in relationship, we're hurt in relationship, but we heal in relationship. And so you may notice that most of the suggestions I have involve other people, mm -hmm. because I do think that there's only so far that we can get on our own. If we're kind of in our own little echo chamber, it's really hard to get that outside discernment and wisdom that we need. And certainly God can provide a lot of that. Um, but I think he wants us to lean on each other as well. And so I think that can be a really important part of whatever direction we take. I mean, there are a million books out there now that are good and have great tips. And there are podcasts galore who can give you good insights and tips. But there's only so far you can go on your own. And I really think that ultimate healing will come first in the presence of other people and then second in the presence of the Holy Spirit and through God, you know, so I think that those are important. I think another thing is to just be open to that idea, kind of what we were just talking about, Willow, that sometimes healing looks different than we anticipate and to be open to the mystery of that. Mm. And I know that's easier for some than others based on our personalities, <laughs> but um, yeah, being open to the fact that it doesn't always look the way we want it to. It doesn't always go in the timeline we wanted to, but if we're just sort of open-handed and willing to begin, I think that's an important posture to have. And I think that's a posture that can lead to really amazing things. Mm, I love that. I, I always think about walking in the direction towards health and it seems like where it gets really dangerous is when you stop walking in that direction and you just kind of give up on your own health and wholeness and, and you stop moving. And you've given us so much to think about today, Karma. And most of all, you've given us hope that God is still alive and well, and he is showing up and entering into some of the hardest spaces and bringing about healing and hope. And I'm so grateful that you're his vessel that he's using to do that in the world and that you've come to share some wisdom with us today. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here and to, to share some of what I've been seeing and learning and 
Yeah, a lot of times I feel like I sit and I just sort of get to watch God do amazing stuff. <laughs> I just kind of watch him show up mm. as he heals. And I get to witness that part of it, too. No better way to live than that. Hey, Carmen, how yeah. can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, these days, I'm a little bit harder to find than I used to be. I, I recently kind of jumped off the social media platforms. Uh, that could be a whole nother podcast. Yes, could. Talk about well. walking towards that. Uh, <laughs> Good job, Karma. <laughs> um, but I do have a website. It's Shalom Counseling WA, as in Washington State. So Shalom Counseling WA.com. And on there, you can access um, email and phone numbers for reaching me professionally. And I am still on LinkedIn, although I don't check it very often. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being with us. And for those of you listening, so glad that you hopped on. I hope that you are walking in the direction towards health and wholeness. I'm right there with you, friend. Take care and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at we.collide, on Facebook as at WeCollideWomen, And you can also visit our website at wecollide.net to find our blog, resources, event information, and more. One last thing. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a few seconds and leave us a review? It seems like such a small act, but reviews help us to keep producing this content and help other women find it too. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode and letting us walk with you as you seek and collide with Jesus.